Hey everyone, and welcome to Patronage, a new limited edition show from the team behind Patron, an early stage venture fund investing in a broader gaming thesis. Join me, Amber Atherton, and my partners, Brian Cho and Jason Ye, as we host roundtable discussions with leading CEOs, founders, and industry experts, debating the challenges and ideas that will shape the future of the internet. This show is not investment advice and is for entertainment purposes only. Enjoy. My name is Jason, and I'm co-founder and general partner at Patron, an early-stage venture firm. At Patron, we believe games will shape the next internet and that our everyday reality will feel increasingly like a game. In today's episode, we're excited to dive into the topic of shaping and influencing culture and the role that games and gaming IP are playing today on that front. In the last year, it's no coincidence that some of the biggest blockbuster entertainment properties and content are being derived from games. With Arcane breaking viewer records on Netflix, The Last of Us being HBO's most, most watched new series, and most recently with Super Mario Brothers movie breaking box office records as the highest grossing movie of the year. Today, we're excited to be joined by two creative leaders building at the intersection of games and entertainment. First, my good friend and former Riot colleague Thomas Vu, who served as the executive producer on Arcane and led Riot's efforts in adapting League IP outside of games. We're also joined by Roy Lee, founder and CEO of Vertigo Entertainment, producer of big Hollywood hits, including The Departed, How to Train Your Dragon franchise, the company behind the Lego movie franchise, and producer of the upcoming Minecraft live action movie. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us for this conversation today. I'd first like to start by having you each share a little bit about how you got into film entertainment and how games have shaped where you are today. Uh, great to be here, uh, Jason. And it's, uh, it was, you know, Jason and I, we've, uh, we were at Riot for at least seven years together, I think. Uh, he was one of my closest uh, friends when I was there, for sure. And, um, you know, for me, I, uh, I've i been an avid gamer since uh, since I can remember, you know. I, I, I played games from the Atari 2600 all the way until um, until today, and I, I don't think I'll ever stop playing games, which I think is actually going to be the experience for most young people. You know, growing up today, my daughters—I have two daughters—who um, uh, are who are huge avid gamers. Um, my career uh, spanned like uh, over 20, um, 20 years in in making games. Um, I built games like The Sims, SimCity, Spore, like sort of big box products uh, early on in my career, and then I spent the last ten years at Riot Games. And uh, and you know, Riot at the beginning was you know a company that had this incredible hit game uh, called League of Legends. And I think a lot of us who worked at Riot were part of that, uh, those early years um, watching this company grow, but never believing that this IP could be anything more than, than you know, the, the game experience. Um, but I think uh, early on, even back in 2012, 2013, there was like this, this sort of um, groundswell of support internally in terms of thinking about like how big this IP can go, you know, and it, it, it's an unusual IP because, you know, don't, you don't normally think a, a sort of esports slash MOBA competitive experience could be, could be adapted. You know, it's like, uh, there was this, this concept of the video game curse that that's been around forever. Right. Uh, we all grew up watching like the, the early Mario movies and uh, uh, Resident Evil movies. And though they were fun, they weren't, uh, I don't think anybody would look back uh, at them and say that they were uh, critically acclaimed or 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 even commercially uh, um, uh, successful. And so um, it was always sort of a twinkle in the eye. And and so um, you know, I think when we think back about when 
uh, when it all started, it was really about trying to figure out um, how do these characters become sort of uh, 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 real characters by themselves, you know, and and the idea was like, how do we end up building a franchise, a Marvel Cinematic Universe type experience with these characters? And so uh, there were, I mean, hundreds if not thousands of people involved in the process. And uh, over time, um, I think through the capabilities of building out CGs, music videos, stories, uh, all the, you know, every single sort of facet that I think Arcane came about. And that whole experience was a, a fascinating experience that we will dig into. But uh, uh, that's a lot of what I did at Riot. Um, you know, I worked with not only uh, on League of Legends, the, 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 the game itself, but all the way through throughout building uh, creative development, building the music department, building all of these different, um, I was called disciplines before uh, tackling something like Arcane. And uh, and that was a, a, a crazy experience. It took us seven years to do, but uh, but um, we're just obviously humbled and, and so excited that it landed very well with the audiences, so. Cool, thanks for sharing. And, and yeah, Roy, can you touch a little bit upon kind of your, your background and kind of what led you to, to found Vertigo and, and what you're working on today? Sure, sure. Um, I'm Roy Lee. I'm a film producer, film and TV producer. Um, I've had over 25 years experience in the development side of things on the Hollywood side. I was a former corporate attorney from D.C., moved into uh, film in 1996, working at a film company called Alphaville, and uh, just learned the process of how they put together movies. And uh, when I was there, I was like, this is the easiest job in the world. You just think of ideas, you have a studio pay for it, you develop it, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And uh, worked there for about four years until I was striking out my own. I, and I started out by doing Asian remakes. And I did Asian remakes because like, as a young producer coming out, I wasn't able to access the same material more established producers had gotten, like either the spec scripts that were scripts written by screenwriters or books or any type of adaptation of material where they would give it to more established producers rather than someone new. So I was picking an area which were Asian films because at this time, the internet wasn't what it was. There wasn't streaming movies. There, the only way you could see foreign films was through film festivals or maybe the occasional release theatrically or through video cassettes, VHS cassettes, which had to be subtitled. Um, and this was like this. So that's why the, the exposure for the Asian films in the U.S. or worldwide was much lower than it is today. And so I just started developing some of the films like The Ring, The Grudge, The Departed, The Lake House, about 25 different Asian titles that were really well-told stories that just trying to figure out how we could adapt them to the U.S. market. So uh, of the first 25 development projects, 18 of them were made into films. And from there, you know, I, I got to develop relationships with writers, directors, more studios and uh, just looking for material. And I was able to develop other properties, not just Asian films. So starting out with like Stephen King novels, which was like the It um, novel, which we did as two movies or the Lego movie, which was just based on the toys. And so in the past couple of years, I've been focusing a lot on, on video game titles just to, to use my knowledge of development to help put these movies together in a way that doesn't, uh, I guess, doesn't... Uh, cause problems with the actual lore of the game, but still can attract a whole new audience. That makes a lot of sense. And thanks for a lot of the early films that you worked on. So like, I actually was a big fan of initially on the the original Asian films for The Ring, Juan, Infernal Affairs, and then seeing them adapted into the US market was uh, was really cool to see. Um, 
Yeah, I guess let, let's dive into it. Like Thomas mentioned in the intro, like this idea of a, a curse where a lot of the early efforts to adapt video game IP into films and, and TV shows, like they didn't necessarily, they weren't necessarily things that could stand on their own. They felt more like things that like comp- video game companies were using to try to find more ways to to reskin the cat around their IP. And so I'm just curious, like, what you guys think about why now? Like, why do you think video games IP are taking off recently? Is it tied to specific IP and projects or like what other kind of things are you guys seeing in market that's making now kind of the right time for this to happen? Well, in my opinion, I think it's actually the arrogance of the film studios in the past where they would just sort of look down upon the video game industry as something out there as just another form of IP and just like go to them and say, you should be so lucky to let us try to adapt your material. And they get the a deal to, to make uh, an adaptation of movies like the Mario Brothers or just like any of the other games. I'm not going to mention specific titles. And they just like make the movie and just not have the input of the game companies. And I think more recently, because of the rise of how games are so much more popular than film and TV combined, the, the power within the organization, say like even Sony Pictures is is doesn't make nearly as much money as PlayStation does for the corporation. And so there's more respect given to the game creators and companies, uh, along with the fact that a lot of the um, people on the studio side are coming up from the world of games, so they, they respect the games. Whereas before, in the past, the film studios and the executives there no, didn't really have an idea of what the games meant to people or like anything really other than it just being something that they could just slot into one of their creators that they could help put together a movie. So it's just more respect nowadays. I'll add to uh, what my perspective on is. I think um, I think it takes a while for mediums to get to get adapted. I agree with everything Roy said, first of all, uh, but I also think it takes a while for things to get adapted well. You know, I think if you look at the history of Hollywood, right, like there was this time where people thought like it would be almost impossible to adapt a book. You know, a book is like maybe 10 hours, like a novel. How do you adapt it into a two hour movie, right? Same with comic books, right? How do you adapt like all these comic books into uh, a two hour film, right? And, um, and it took like uh, different folks after many decades to like crack that nut. Like there were, I think, really horrendous um, comic book movies before comic book movies were a thing. And so I think video games just went through the same kind of process too, where um, it took a while for, especially what Roy said around like people who really cared and loved the games and the, the IPs to sort of grow up and and to become their own. Um, video games really... I think video games only hit mainstream in the last few years. Like I think like 2015, sort of the League of Legends, the Fortnites, the Call of Duty sort of become sort of household names. And so it's still a very young medium if you think about like the history of games. And so all these folks who who grew up playing games are now in the industry, right? They they're now they now have enough sort of credibility, they have enough experience that now that that, that they can write they think write a good script in a film. Uh, I think on top of that, uh uh, video games of the past were in many ways sort of um, adaptations of films, right? And if you think about it, like, it's like a facsimile of film. Like if you played Call of Duty or Medal of Honor, you're sort of playing Private Ryan, right? You're trying to live that experience. So it's really hard to adapt an adaptation of an adaptation, right? So it's kind of silly. But now you have games that are sort of IPs wholly onto themselves. And I think that's really helpful. And then the last thing I'll, I'll say is that, you know, gameplay is um, 
um, extremely um, visceral and and interactive in a way that I think films are not. And so trying to capture that is is really hard, right? So um, uh, we had a uh, when we were at Riot, we we met up with like uh, Zack Snyder. He had a great line. He said, you know, it's way more fun to shoot paintball than to watch someone shoot paintball, right? So if you're trying to adapt like like a like an MMO or or some uh, some really immersive experience, like it's really hard to capture that experience because like if I'm fighting a giant raid boss, like how do I capture that on film and make it just as good, right? And if I'm playing a game like League of Legends or if I'm playing uh, a, a game like Call of Duty where I spent a thousand hours with Master, Sh- Master Chief, right? Like in Halo, can I, can I in two hours or 10 hours, if it's a series, capture a thousand hours of love? It's really hard to do that, right? And so you have to sort of adapt it and intersect it in a way that I think is, uh, is a little bit out of the box and more authentic. So, yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point around this idea that like, actually doing the thing should be more fun than watching someone else do it. We had that same challenge at Riot around building esports. Like, why would you watch somebody else play the game? And then, lo and behold, it became the favorite sport for hundreds of millions of people around the world. But to your point, like, League, you wouldn't think of as necessarily the first IP that could break into Hollywood, given it's a team-based PvP game. It's more focused on competitive than it, on the surface, seems like it's, it's based on the stories of the characters. What was it like in the early days pitching the IP, exploring, talking about League IP with like people from Hollywood, with uh, showrunners and directors and studio heads. Um, can you just talk about kind of like, what was that like in the beginning and how has that kind of changed over the years? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I think we were not fully confident in the IP itself. So there was always like this almost like, can it happen or can it not? So number one, it was like, actually like, we have to first believe that this this IP can actually be, be worthy of an adaptation that is something that we would all be proud of. And a lot of the are, are sort of the hearts that we had, the, the, where our hearts went was like, hey, like if we can make our players, our audience proud of it, that's really the goal at the end of the day. And so um, we've actually met with almost all the major studios, all the top producers. Actually, Roy was a really huge um uh, uh, advocate for us and an advisor like he he was really thoughtful about how we should think about approaching this process and there were a ton of interest uh, obviously since the league had 100 million active players but nobody really had a good idea of how we would adapt such a thing because it's not league is not a, if you don't know league by the way on the podcast league is not a story game right? it's a five on five uh, 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 sort of sport where you're trying to destroy each other's base and you play this over and over and over again, like in like sort of th- 35 minute uh, time intervals. And so each of these characters, like, you know, although somebody would play a character for like many, many hours, like they're kind of like, like an inch deep, right? Like, like th- there's a lot of champions, but each of them like had like a bio pretty much and maybe like a cinematic on their launch. And so um, it's like, how do we develop this? How do we, how do we convince like a studio to do this? And I think our our sort of uh, strategy was like, hey, let's talk to the 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 studios, folks who have done this for a long, long time, but also develop what's you know our version of it internally. And that's where Arcane sort of spawned from, like our version internally. Um, and again, Riot, you know, like there's there's not a right or wrong reason, a right or wrong. Uh, uh, a version of doing this right obviously we saw last of us 
uh, do very, very well. And that, I think that went through a much more traditional structure. Um, but, uh, but it was, a uh, it was really interesting because everybody had their own take on how we should do it. You know, people, a lot of folks were like, Hey, you should do this live action. A lot of people are like, animation is like very niche. You shouldn't do ne- uh, animation. Like maybe this, uh, you should do it as a movie versus a TV show. Is it four quadrant? Who's the audience? Like there are a lot of different questions that, that we had to sort of address. And in a, a very strange way with Arcane, like it was almost always the most unlikely scenario, you know, Riot is a company that really uh, prides itself on like being like what they describe as black licorice, right? Like you either love it, you hate it, you know? And Arcane is, it's all of that, you know? Arcane was a six hour television series that were that was really for mature audiences uh, based on a game IP with a new animation style. You know, like it's it's literally everything that that you would you wouldn't think is the obvious choice ended up being the choice, but it ended up working out in a bunch of different ways. And so, uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean, Roy, you you were there early on with us, like talking about this and seeing some of the work. Like, what what, what was your impression? Well, I mean, I just, you were able, I was able to see the process of how you did put these things together and just like some of the, the scripts and the, the ideas of how you're percolating them internally. And uh, it was a, a very thoughtful way of doing that would normally not happen on the studio level because they, they wouldn't like to have like do that much experimenting and uh, they just want like a clear path to what they're doing. And what you guys were doing was just experimenting all around, which was uh, turned out for the best. And one of the things I'd like to add about like the three examples of the successes now that you're you're talking about, which was like the Arcane, The Last of Us, and Super Mario Brothers, all three of those had instances where the game companies were actively involved in the development, whereas all of the failures in the past were game adaptations where they had no involvement in the development of it. Yeah, in, in the past, like what would typically happen is that uh, a game company would license the IP out to a studio and then sort of like obviously for the game company to get like a few million dollars out of it, which is, is great for, you know, like their business, but their business is games. Right. Um, and then the studio interestingly would develop it. But, uh, if you imagine like these budgets are pretty large and if you already spent a bunch of money on licensing, that means your budget for production and the development of it's not going to be as large. And so it's actually sort of, uh, uh, really hard for the studios too. So I can, I can empathize very, uh, 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 I can empathize with both the game company and the studio, and uh, and we've heard so many different stories. Um, and one of the beautiful things about working on Arcane was uh, we had so many friends from all the other studios that were also thinking about this process. You know, um, uh, whether it's like you know uh, our friends from Blizzard who did the WoW movie, and they're like, "Hey, watch out for these things! Like, watch out for these traps!" Like, and so we had just a, a crew of really thoughtful advisors and thought leaders that really helped us. Um, think about how we want to approach like the, the making of Arcane. And so um, I'm really thankful for all those humans, including Roy. That's great to hear. And it's always like you see the finished product. I think a lot of times it's very hard to understand, like, what is the actual pre-production and production process that takes place over a long, in some cases, a decade before you actually see the the actual finished product on, on screen. Um, and so I actually am curious, and, and maybe this is something you can touch on, Roy, like what has your experience been kind of adapting so like, I think How to Train Your Dragon came from a book series and then Lego obviously built around kind of a toy IP. And then more recently, like having more um, opportunities to work with game companies. Like, are there nuances that you see around 
the source of the IP and the type of community that kind of exists around it? Or yeah, like how do you think about adapting different from different kind of mediums? Well, I, I come uh, at any of these adaptations uh, like from two sides of it being from the commerce side of like how popular the game is, which makes it easier to get more funding in terms of development funds from the studio side, as well as the the other half, which is actually arguably more important, is the creative side of like being able to find the right person to adapt the material, be the writer or director, like being the two most important things of adaptations. And if you could get the balance of those two, then it, like you'll like the higher level talent that you could get for a largely popular game, a very popular game, is is like the sweet spot of what I, I'd look for. But like it could also come from like a a high-end filmmaker who likes an obscure piece of, of of IP. Just like the example of like James Gunn coming in and taking the obscure, at the time, Guardians of the Galaxy. And like that was because of the, the balance of the two things of like it, being in the Marvel Universe and having James Gunn, uh, now that we know how, 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 uh, how creative and how excellent he is at making these movies and TV shows. So um, I don't know if that actually answered your question, but... Uh, I think that touches on kind of another idea around like mainstream IP versus niche IP. And so the two examples, Mario Brothers and League, there's probably hundreds of millions of people around the world who are familiar with these characters to some degree, whether how depth, how deep that relationship is like remains to be seen. But then you have something like The Last of Us, which I I looked up some stats. So the company, the game sold six million copies its first year. I think it sold just under 20 million uh, by the time the second game, the sequel had come out. And yet, uh, during its run on HBO, I think something like over 30 million people ended up streaming at least one episode of the show. It might have been closer to 40 million. And so it started off with, again, 6 million, 20 million is not is not necessarily that niche, but it's not hundreds of millions. And ultimately, they were able to kind of resonate with a much broader audience than just the people who played the game. And so, yeah, I guess, like, can you guys just talk about, like, how you think about this idea of, like, how niche is too niche and what are some of the trade-offs when you think about like approaching some of these more niche properties that have like maybe a very passionate, but just like a smaller uh, fan community. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I've only worked on the, the, the league stuff, so it wasn't niche at all, <laughs> but, uh, but in a way it was because, uh, you know, I think if you went out on the street and you're like league of legends, you know, like I don't think most, like if you're like over the age of 30, 35, like, I think you might not know league of legends, you know, and I think it's one of those things where, where, um, where I think we're gonna start to see neat more and more niche things uh, become become popular in sort of the adaptation, just like in the same way with comic books, right? The early comic books were all like X Men and sort of the tier one superheroes like Batman and Spider Man, and then now like you know Marvel did a you know we talked about James Gunn and Guardians, like that's a pretty niche, you know, like I knew about the Guardians because I played like Marvel versus Capcom, you know, it wasn't like I was reading the comics or something. And so, and so I think, uh, I think you're going to start to see that trend, but, um, but you know, I think uh, it's a double-edged sword, you know, like you can have a, a ginormous IP. It doesn't mean it's going to be a hit. And we've seen that, you know, like we've seen really huge IPs like fall flat and sort of expectations are even high. Uh, higher right and so i think it's all about like the authenticity and the entry point into the ip that actually really really matters um uh you know like there there's a version where the super mario movie is sort of like 
more grounded, right? But they went straight video game, right? Like you literally, he's jumping through a portal, right? Mario's jumping through a portal and he's in the Mushroom Kingdom and it worked out really well, right? Um, uh, I think uh, if you did that for, it's like almost like a Juma, uh, Jumanji experience, right? Uh, um, while I think, you know, by the way, that was like a, a, a big pitch from a lot of the studios, like League of Legends would be like, like you're jumping into a League of Legends world by characters outside. And it was like, I don't think that would work, right? Like RK needed a different sort of treatment. And so uh, I think uh, I think the, the question about niche or not niche is, is to me like sort of less important. And it's more like how resonant can you be with the, the audience that you're going for? And for us, like uh, uh, with Arcane, like you'd be surprised, like our primary audience wasn't League of Legends. Our primary audience that we went for was were gamers. Like we wanted to be a love letter to gamers and our secondary audience. And this is another one that is probably surprising is we wanted animation. People who love animation because the style was so new and differentiated. So our primary audience wasn't like a four quadrant audience. It wasn't for League of Legends players. It wasn't for, uh, uh, for, um, for, uh, for like the, the sort of what I would describe as like superhero, like action audience or people who love TV, you know, dramas. It, it was literally like, gamers and then number two animation lovers and if you think about those audiences it's it might not be that large but you know like you kind of resonate deeply with an audience and then have it spill out because if you do it well they're going to be your biggest evangelist they're going to go out and they're going to like shout from the rooftops like go watch this thing it's the best thing ever you know and so um i think this i think last of us is actually similarly in that sense they were in many ways uncompromising uh uh about about the authenticity of of that experience and that story. I come at it a little bit more of a broader take of things in, in terms of the development, where um, for any of the IP, be it video games, be it a Stephen King novel, be it like the Lego toy brand, it's more of like, I like to look at it from either the one side of like a filmmaker or the creative talent who are it absolutely immersed in that world who love it and know it backward and forward. And I would want another person and usually myself being the, the general audience the, of moviegoers who have no idea as if they, they have no preconceived notion of what it is so that the, the whatever is developed can appeal to both sides. So it, like somebody who doesn't know it can still have as much enjoyment out of it in, and as much as somebody who loves it that'll have the Easter eggs that it doesn't really matter for the person who doesn't know it, but it just helps out in both ways. That if it just if it appeals to both, then that's the sweet spot for me in terms of a development project. And, and Roy, I think uh, I think you're totally right on that front in terms of um, um, it needs to be because te- television and film are such broad mediums. It needs to be that way. Where um, if you're too inside baseball, like it's you're 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 barking up a, a really <laughs> the wrong tree, right? Like you need to be able to uh, uh, be able to appeal to um, um, everyone who comes at it fresh. And so, thankfully, Arcane, like you don't have to like we we get a ton of like. People telling us that, yeah, I didn't know anything about League. What is this weird like experience? Like, but uh, I loved Arcane, and so, uh, and by the way, I'm not saying that Four Quadrant is a bad thing or not. Um, I think, I think if you look at Mario, you look at Sonic, you look at uh, Pokemon, which were all very uh, successful. I think they're all like um, both critically and commercially successful. Um, they were very much for a broad audience, you know, like, and it's for really for everybody. So I think Roy mentioned earlier, like having a good 
balance between like the kind of experienced filmmaking storytelling with this medium with like really strong authenticity around like the core design of the game. So I think like Last of Us probably was the best of both worlds with Craig Mazin coming off of Chernobyl and then Neil Druckmann actually being directly involved in the action, basically effectively like co-show running the show and having this kind of unique situation where these two people could actually like combine the best of both things to create something new that not only obviously resonates with people who spent a lot of time playing through The Last of Us, but um, obviously even more people who had no idea about this game um, kind of fell into the world and, and fell in love with it. Yeah, it's it's really cool watching the uh the Last of Us like the extra scenes. Like I always like watch the the sort of like little recap afterwards and after the episode. Yeah, yeah. after the episode and and it's great to see like how open Neil was to Greg's um suggestions. You know, like he changed some things and he's like, oh, that's actually makes this way better, right? Like, and uh, I think there's a there's an there's a sort of ability to be not so precious about like the the core IP, right? And uh, and be able to adapt it in a way that's appropriate. Like w- the best idea at the end of the day wins on that front, and it clearly shows in the final product. So one one thing we highlighted earlier was this idea of we're finally in a period where some of these like creative decision makers, whether it's the studio heads themselves or more importantly the showrunners and directors, they're growing up playing games and they have games that they love and that influence them a lot. And so how much are you seeing that be kind of a driver around? A resurgence of interest in like some more obscure IP or some just like things that again on the surface might seem like super niche, but then they'll they'll go into production because like people are super excited about it. Is that something that you guys have like begun begun to see? Well, for me, it's like I, now because of the resurgence or just like the the uprise of video game IP, all the agencies are putting it to their clients. So like which which piece of uh, of IP that did you love growing up where we could help put that facilitate that. So it's it's now because of the fact that there's a perceived demand by the studios or just by the marketplace that a lot of the filmmakers are just like thinking about their childhood or things that their kids have played and 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 wanting to to just uh, explore other areas they hadn't thought of like five years ago. And so because of that sometimes I'll get a, a filmmaker contact me about like a, a video game that I've never heard of before. But uh, unless they're like a really high-end filmmaker, it's going to be very hard to to do. And then there's also like the older games, the rights are, are a bit more tied up than, than the newer games. And there's also the, the video game companies all have their own game plan of what they want to do in, in coinciding with future releases of the game. Because like a lot of times the game companies don't think of film and TV as a revenue generator as much as like more of marketing for what the what the game will be or sales of games of the past. Like uh, with PlayStation, the sales of, of uh, Last of Us went up and they were telling me that one third of all new sales are from people who'd never played the, any of the games before and just learned about it through the television show. Yeah, you saw that with Witcher. You saw that with uh, Cyberpunk. Um, you saw that with so many, uh, so many different games, right? I, I think when you talk about IP, old IP, like Castlevania is the one that comes to mind, right? Like, like I don't, I know there are new Castlevania games, but um, you know, I grew up playing all the old ones, right? And it was incredibly uh, authentic to that experience, and that was one of the f- like the first sort of indications that this thing is going to be really cool. And so I, I do think that uh, some of these older IPs uh, will have interesting resurgence. You know, like 
I grew up playing everything from like Ultra Beast to like, you know, like I want these, like I want these uh, experiences like Metroid, right? I, I'd love to have a Metroid <laughs> adaptation. And, you know, and more recently, you know, Roy's uh, sort of giving uh, uh, props to Roy and Vertigo over here, but uh, but Warhammer, right? Warhammer is a, 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 a game IP in my mind. It's a board game, right? Obviously, but, uh, or uh, um, toy soldiers <laughs> and that's that's incredibly interesting to me I, I i can't wait to see what that adaptation looks like and so uh I, i'm really excited to see like some of these old ips come back because they're they're part of our childhood and i think it's uh in the same way uh uh the the sort of marvel comics and uh uh dc comics are now like you know are now popular or has been popular in the last 10 years you even mentioned firsthand, like there, there's obviously a lot of people who grew up reading comic books, but there's even more people who grew up playing the video game versions of these comic books, which is the actual touch point that they have with these characters and, and these stories. Um, and so that, I think that's certainly an interesting dynamic where it's kind of the, those two worlds are kind of like bleed together because of the fact that there is so much overlap in terms of the underlying like user experience. One thing that I wanted to highlight what Roy said, I think it's really important to highlight is that um, though I think game companies look at um, um, because, you know, Games are such highly profitable businesses. They look at the film as being like sort of ancillary or marketing, right? But um, I, I actually think it goes way beyond that. Like we looked at it as being what I describe as like a love letter to our audience, right? Which is like, what's the LTV of that audience over like the next 50 years, right? And I think when you create something that is culturally accepted and lauded, then you create like such a deep level of pride and love within your audience that they'll They'll, they're you're they're with you forever. I mean, Disney's figured this out for a long time, right? Like, I go to Disneyland and I the first thing I hear is like the the the, the up song, right? The, the 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 sort of background music, and I'm like, I'm in, like whatever it is, I'm in, right? Like, and so I I just think um I think one like it it really transcends culture, which is which is really really important, and two like I think um and two I think these IPs because they live on for so long, there's all these products that that appear and so uh and it's it's kind of like a backwards thing but it, but it makes sense to me in my mind like you know if disney was like hey we want to make a movie so people fall in love with like say like elsa from frozen right or uh uh uh, uh like the the film that's a two-hour experience that you experience once right and then and then the the um the theme parks and the merchandising is your 365 day experience, right? Like now I can experience like Elsa as a figure on my desk. Well, game companies are taking a the sort of opposite approach, which is like they have the 365 days a year experience, like with the League of Legends, right? Maybe for for a game that's like a single play game, like maybe you'll get like like 100 hours or something. But then now if you create the the sort of like very spiky two hour or 10 hour experience, then people can reflect back on the the sort of 365 day experience and actually have even more value to it. So it's very symbiotic in the sense. And I think uh, it's just like, it's like inverse of like the Disney strategy, but it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, love, right? Like that's, that's what you're trying to build. You're trying to build cultural and validated love that is, uh, that is shared by everybody who touches it. One nuance that we're kind of living in now is that there's just, people don't just consume video content at the movie theater. There's like an unending number of streaming platforms and an unending library of content that exists. And so I'm just curious, like what are the challenges then of like, if you have these game companies where maybe it's focused, like a company like Riot's more focused on like long-term relationship building with, with their audience, but other game companies, maybe it's to promote an upcoming game that's launching. 
versus on the studio side or from a stream platform side, like they certainly want to drive either subscribers or track the number of people who are watching. So I'm just curious, like, like do those, are those things potentially like harder to deal with? And in the case where you finally do like uh, find a project at Greenlight, is there a strong push to like target the existing gaming community when you're launching one of these properties, like a, a film adaptation or TV adaptation of the game? Or is it more broad and it's just you're trying to target as many people as possible to to be interested? I think, and again, uh, I'd love to hear Roy's perspective on this too, but um, I think for certain companies, I think that is the case. Like, you know, I, don't, I was, uh, you know, I, I've talked to the, the folks over at Cyberpunk a few times on this front, but, um, you know, I, I wonder if like, you know, like, uh, edge runners is like very much like, Hey, let's, let's build a funnel for people to have awareness into back into the game. I think for Riot, it was, in my opinion, it was different. It wasn't like a, a direct, like you play arcane and you go play league, you know, like that's a nice to have, but it, it really is like arcane was like a standalone product that, um, that if people fell in love, they'll just fall in love with Riot, the brand, League of Legends, the IP, and uh, and anything that comes out of it is uh, is great. You know, uh, I think that I think that was like um, very much the intent versus like um, uh, like a direct any kind of direct funnel. My answer to that was like for the studios, like the legacy studios, like the Warner Brothers and um, Universals, they are trying to make the movies or the TV series uh, to appeal to the widest possible audience while using the existing fan base as the base and to make sure that they also appeal to that so that um, the they definitely would not just want to appeal to the gamers. They want to play the widest audience. Whereas on the streaming side, it's a different equation there because they're more of like the upstarts. So like maybe like the Netflix compared to like a Disney where Disney has their Marvels, their Star Wars. And so they would want to utilize the, 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 the game IP to build a franchise universe there. And so they would um, start developing something that could appeal to like the, some core gamers as well as for the, the, the niche part with this, the, the smaller part with like the animated series in terms of like edge runners, as well as do like a $200 million. They'd love to do a $200 million cyberpunk movie and just like to appeal to like a wider audience, but it's just like to build a whole universe within um just uh, their their platform themselves, and I think Edge Runners worked out really well. Like uh, my understanding is that um, it's really like significantly boosted Cyberpunk sales, and that game is like you know like you know it had a it had a uh, unfortunately a, a, a sort of release that was not optimal, and but you know it's sort of recovered in a, a big way since then. So I guess one of the last topics I want to cover is just the idea of when you're tackling a more mainstream IP. There's certainly a lot more expectation and there's a lot more potentially pressure to appeal to like that that very wide audience and so I, I think back to like league like league grew up alongside twitch and so i'd say twitch as a platform started to kind of really take off because of the fact there's so many people streaming league whether it's esports whether it's just like entertainment for streamers on the flip side you think about youtube and youtube really blew up because in addition to league like people were watching minecraft like people play minecraft minecraft videos and I, I don't have to touch on kind of anything's not public, but just curious, like for a property like Minecraft, where it seems like it's been in development for, it seems like a great candidate for some type of movie, whether it's uh, more on the animated side, live action side, to be made over the last 10 plus years as the game was taking off. 
just curious, like how does a property like that kind of like make its way through development? And like, what are some of the challenges and nuances of dealing with something that's so broadly appealing? Well, one of the instances that we went through on, on Minecraft was that we actually did have a version of the movie that we were thought we were going to go into production with, that we, were, we had a script written, and then we found out it had almost the identical concept of what Jumanji was, even down to like the, 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 the after-school students that, that were in detention that d- uncovered something that opened a portal to another world that brought these people in. It was, it was insane how close they were. So we had to reconfigure everything and start from scratch because even though they were both independently developed, but uh, once we saw that they were already going, that we realized we couldn't do that. And so it's... Uh, so in another world, we could have had the what you saw in the Jumanji movie actually be the Minecraft movie with the, the 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 version of people going into that world and having the same sort of experience of how to get back. Um, but uh, that that was very specific for Minecraft, and so it's just a matter of like you don't know what works until you just experiment with like different scripts and hear different takes from writers and get the right filmmakers together because it's almost like a miracle any movie comes together because there's so many pieces that have to come together at the right time with the writer direct the, as, as well as the financing and the, having a director with a certain uh, people level of talent they want to be in it so it's uh, and there's no real set method that everyone has to adhere to it's just like you it, each movie is a different beast yeah. And to that point, it's like like Minecraft is a literal sandbox where you can build any like other experience within that world. And same thing with League. I think the the preconceived uh, idea in the prior generation was like you make a superhero, you make a video game movie, you just use all the characters and you put them all in the same movie. And I think the thing that uh, we kind of looked deeply at Riot is like, well, it, it, we would actually prefer to create like much more depth in like individual characters, certain parts of the world so that you can slowly un- kind of reveal different parts of the universe so that it really is this universe that people can consume over time. And I think like Minecraft, similar thing, like there's, there's not like one way to do it. Obviously there's like so many potential different directions, which is why like a Jumanji style movie was potentially like close to being made. And there's probably like 50 other versions of like very different things that could be very appealing to people who play Minecraft. Most of these IPs are IPs that can, you can tell a lot of different stories, which obviously has incredible potential for expansion but also like where do you start you know like with league uh it was one of those things where it was a head scratcher for a lot of people that uh it started in uh Zan, which is like sort of like this like very like sci- uh, steampunk sort of place and steampunk's never worked in <laughs> in anything it seems like yeah yeah and i think um it was uh our showrunners christian uh, Christian Link and Alex G, like um, they 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 were pretty like uh, uh, staunch and and had a great take on it that actually differentiated. So when you watch it, you don't it doesn't feel like steampunk, but it is like you know at the heart like a, a steampunk esque sort of setting. And but a lot of people were like, why don't you start in Demacia with Garen and Lux, you know? And then the challenge is like you start in a place like Demacia, you get like you get compared to Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or all the sort of traditional knights and sorcerer fantasy out there, right? And so it, it was a really interesting, you know, like, again, like it goes back to what Roy said earlier, right? Where do you enter 
what's the what's the entry point and how authentic it is, right? And if you do it and you can tell a good story, I think it it sort of plays out well. One recent example, and it's something of like that maybe interesting. Thomas is The Sims. Like what was when I was uh, trying to figure out how we could adapt it. Uh, like met with. Uh, actually, I just got lucky. The the one of the, the the first filmmaker that I met with, who was absolutely in love with it, came up with a very specific take that I didn't know if it would work out very well. And when we presented it to the game company, they the first thing they said after it was done, they were like, "Thank you for not pitching us a variant of Free Guy in the Sims world," because we've heard that at least 20 different times in the past year. And uh, her take was like very specific to, and they're like, we love this. We could use this format for multiple movies. And we're so happy that this was a different version of it. And it wouldn't have come unless there was just like trial and error of hearing different takes of uh, from different people. I just got lucky. I heard the first one, but they've gone through 20 of them before they landed on the one they liked. But I guess like you mentioned this earlier, like studio heads are very, they try to draw patterns with what's happening in the market. Do you feel like we're we're ready for like multiple versions of like things like The Last of Us, which started off pretty niche, kind of going broad, and then like really large adaptations like Super Mario, Super Mario Brothers actually doing the IP justice and reaching broad audience? Or do you feel like like right now there there is just like people are just throwing things at the wall and seeing what will stick? I think right now it's we're in the stage of where comic books were. 20 years ago and we, there there's going to be a, a a surge of of seeing all the success of some of these games you'll see a lot more adaptations some good some bad and the 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 cream will rise up the and the the better ones will thrive and build out universes but it's going to get to a point where it's going to be too much and and it's just like we just have to ride the wave as and create as much good content as we can yeah, I, I tend to agree with what Roy said. I, I and I I think you can look at the film industry and the books industry and all these different industries as good examples. Like even in games, right? There's only so many good games every year, so many good films every year. And I think there will be a lot of adaptations and you know, the the good stuff will rise up and uh and be remembered and and that's it's like the Pareto principle or something like that. You know, like it's like uh the the the, the best stuff is gonna sort of entertain 90% of the audience eyes or viewers eyes, eyeballs. Yeah. And a point that I, I thought of been, and didn't get to mention earlier about you're talking about niche games that are, um, and even the older ones, it, in fact, like the older games aren't necessarily the ones that are easily adapted because like the, the early versions of games like Pac-Man to like Ultima and like even like the, the early stages aren't necessarily the ones that could really be adapted that easily compared to like the games now that have more like worlds that are built in characters and storylines that uh, like, at least when I was growing up with the arcade games, it's rare that you could adapt Joust or uh, Defender or things like that, which are Yars Revenge. Yeah. Yars (laughs) Revenge. Well, we're seeing something else play out now, which is uh, like MUDs. So like text-based games. Now, like the internet's turning into a MUD with ChatGPT and people just like figuring out ways to like have conversations to actually like drive, <laughs> drive out the internet works. Um, but I'm actually curious, and this can be the, the closing kind of topic and point, but um, what, what do you guys think about like how advancements in AI are, are kind of like influencing things that happen both on the game side and then also kind of in the film, uh, in the movie, movie making side? It's going to be interesting to see how it affects the business as a whole. I think right now it's like more of the low end content will be able to be um, created via AI without much of a problem. Like, just like 
not to disparage Cocoa Melon. It feels like, because I have a four-year-old, like when I see Cocoa Melon, that could easily just have been created by AI and you would have not batted an eye. Whereas like the higher end uh, animations would be impossible to, at least in this current format. So right now I think the the, the lower end um, content is going to have problems in terms of like, the, at least the, with the creators wanting to monetize it, it or like the, the filmmakers or the writers and directors in that area are going to be sort of pushed out. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say what it's going to look like in five years though. Yeah. I, 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 I tend to agree. And I think in the five to 10 year time scale, everything's up for grabs, <laughs> you know, like AI is just moving so incredibly quickly and you know, you start with authoring, right. And so you get like, image, text, animation, VFX. So you start to get all this stuff. And then I think the magic is how they all come together in sort of emergent and surprising ways, you know? And and the question at the end of the day for me is like, like the best content out there, the films and the shows and the games um, tend to have like a very sort of like, like deeper expression, like a, like a, let's call it a soul, right? There's something about it that's sort of intangible, right? Now the question is the AI going to be able to, to capture that aspect, you know, or is it like, you know, like a, a, a Plato's cave, right? Like is the AI only able to play within the box that is a sort of collective human experience or can it go beyond that? And I think the best content goes way beyond that. Like it has just a much deeper meaning. And it's not inauthentic. It's 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 vastly authentic. And I think the stuff that worked so far, like the Mario movie, Last of Us, and and Arcane, um, they all had a deep level of 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 soul to them. You know, like for lack of a better word, right? Like there's a heart to them that I think can the AI capture that? I don't know. I think it's still TBD. But uh, but I do believe that that the creation of content is going to change dramatically for everybody. So, And I think in general too, it's like with making it easier for people to create content means that there's just going to be significantly more content and there's going to be significantly more noise. And so people are going to be even more drawn to the idea of like curation and quality and having experiences that are like deeper. And I think those are the areas where creative industries that are driven by like storytellers, um, you kind of like rely on those people to, to give depth and meaning for people to actually feel like this thing matters. And I think uh, to kind of like tie up the whole overall conversation, I think gaming is such an interesting source material for potential other forms of media, because if you spend 10,000 hours playing a game and you have like a deep understanding relationship with the characters in the world, you're going to have a different kind of expectation and relationship with like when you see that in other parts of your life. And and yeah, I think like it is exciting to see like more games from very broad to very niche become uh, have a spotlight shine shine on them and having really talented like storytellers work to adapt them. Um, I feel like we're we're all in for a treat as like uh, as viewers and consumers of uh, entertainment. Um, cool. Well, I wanted to thank you guys both for joining me today. This was a ton of fun to talk about this topic and really excited for all the different things that you guys are are working on in the pipeline. Um, so yeah, thanks. You're welcome. Yeah.